well, awesome one more time. Can you make some noise for Jesus in here this morning? That sounds going to be great on the replay when you go connect with this. But, man, excited to welcome you all here this morning and all those that's going to connect with us uh, later on through the week uh, via YouTube. Uh, just so you know, every uh, Monday, uh, typically before noon or right at noon, uh, we upload uh, the message so that you have the opportunity to connect. Uh, I know uh, with weekends and maybe uh, activities with your kids and travel and, you know, summer uh, will be here before you know it. Uh, but we still want to offer a way for you to be able to connect uh, if you're not in the room on a Sunday morning. And so you can do that uh, via YouTube, simply the Becoming Church, and uh, you'll find us there. Just look for the house, and there we are. And we're the Becoming Church on uh, any social platform, so uh, Instagram, Facebook, anything like that. Um, not because we're trying to get our followers up, <laughs> but it's so that uh, you can be able to connect with the church for news announcements and things like that. Well, hey, I'm excited to continue uh, in this final week of our collection uh, entitled uh, Live Big. And uh, we kicked off from the very beginning, week one, of talking about how Living big is not about, you know, big homes, big cars, and, you know, big vacations and big money and all that. Not that anything is wrong with that, but it's that living big is about living a life in Christ, living the life that God has called us uh, to live. And we discover that the reason why some of us don't live that life is because uh, we have got inside of a tent. Some of you may remember the tent. I keep doing this, and it's like, well, the tent was right there. Um, that some of us are living in the tent maybe because of complacency or other things. And it was Paul talking to the church in Corinth where he's like, yo, your life is not small because, not because of anything that I haven't, like, tried to lead you in. Your life is small because you fenced yourself in. So we, get, we have to get outside of the tent. We got to get outside to get a vision with God. Like Abraham, uh, Abram got out of the tent to get a vision uh, with God. And then the second week, we're like, yo, that's cool. We got out of the tent. Now what do we do, right? We're like, yo, we got we to gotta cross over. So we got to leave the issues in the tent, in the tent. We got to cross over to where God um, is taking us. And then last week we talked about, so that's exciting, that's cool, and we're ready to go and take it on full force, but it actually may be small gains. It may be bit by bit. It may be little by little. Everybody wants the exponential change, and sometimes that happens, but oftentimes things that God does, it's little by little. It's bit by bit. So if it's tough, don't give up, but just keep on becoming. And so today I want to have a conversation kind of Centered around too, like really, what does it really mean to live a big life? Is it about where things point to me or is it about what I get to do or people know my name or my brand or my image or whatever? And I, I kind of want to bring it down to what the Lord is really saying by living a big life. Are y'all up for that this morning? Cool, let's, let's do it. So we're going to be coming from Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verses 35 uh, through 45. And uh, if you have um, your copy of God's Word, so you can go ahead and uh, flip with me there or scroll with me um, or view it up here on the screen. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Cool. Here we go. It says this. Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. He's like, what is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, 
We want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today. God, we thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for everything that you have done, Lord, today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you. God, that you're here, that you're with us. And, and Lord, you're, because you're with us, you're for us. And the fact that you're for us, it makes us say, well, then nothing can be against us because you're with us. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your word and the promises of your word that are yes and amen and how your word doesn't return to you void, but it accomplishes everything that you sent it out to do. So, Lord, over these next few moments, as we gather around your word, I pray that our ears are inclined to hear you that our eyes are open to see what it is that you're speaking to us. And, Lord, that we say this, speak because we're listening. Lord, transform our lives, Lord, so that we can live the life that you've called us to live. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Come on, come on. Everybody said? Amen. 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 So have you ever asked for something only to later regret uh, that you asked for it? As any of you guys, you, you might be picturing that thing um, right now. Oftentimes when, you know, a friend says, hey, can you help me move? And you're like, yes. And then later you regret it because you thought it was a few boxes, but their definition of few and your definition of few don't match. And <laughs> yeah, you, you regret it right away. Well, I remember a particular time uh, back in the seventh grade where I found out my best friend was going to a summer camp that I had no idea that he was going on. It's a problem, right? Because this is my best friend. This is my homeboy. This is my guy. And he's going on a camp that I am not aware of. So I'm like, yo, like, what's up with that? Like, you live in file. How are you not going to tell me about this camp in the summertime that I would want to go to? Wouldn't you think I would enjoy this camp? And so anyway, you know, we, we pulled some, some, some strings, and I ultimately ended up on the camp, uh, at the camp. It wasn't too long after being at the camp that I realized that my friend wasn't trying to keep me away from this camp, but he was actually trying to protect me from this camp. <laughs> this was one of those, um, like, pseudo-scared, straight kind of camps. Like, if you got some behavior issues, like if you had some discipline, 
problems, which this was all news to me because I'm like, dude, we hang out. What's, what's, what's going on? Like, who are you at home when nobody else? So I was a little thrown off that he even needed this. But let me tell you, like, this camp, they took you through some things. Like, you messed up. Like, there was push-ups and there was, like, I was just, like, jumping jacks and all the, I'm like, I'm not here for this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm 12. Like, I'm okay. Like, I, I do right. And so, like, I re- again, I regretted this right away. But as soon as I wanted to go on this trip, even faster, I wanted to leave this trip. I absolutely regret it. Am I the only one? Has anybody ever been there before? You know, some of us are like this with things that we've talked to God about, things that we've prayed to the Lord about. Some of us have been praying prayers for years, and when God answers the prayer, but he answers it in seed form and not in harvest form, that we're kind of like, hold up, bro, I didn't know it was going to be like that. That when I asked for a raise, I didn't know you were going to say, be a better steward of the finances that I already have. When, when, when I asked for patience, I didn't know you were going to say, like, yo, you're going you gonna to sit down for a season. I learned that one. I said, Lord, I need, my, I, I need better patience. And then I tore my Achilles, and I sat down for a long time. I said, never again will I ask for patience. <laughs> but maybe you asked for community, and the Lord's like, well, actually, you're going to be community. You're going to initiate community. You're going to go and talk first. Now, when stuff like this happens, family, it's not God challenging us, asking or, or praying these specific things to him. What's happening is he's just taking us through that developmental process. He's like, look, I know you asked for juice. You asked for apple juice, but here are some apples. So this morning, I want to speak from this headline Do you know what you're asking? And so if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Do you know what you're asking? So in today's culture, the the, the mindset or maybe just the vibe of the culture, if you will, is to live this loud, upfront life. Like everybody has to know when I'm in the room. Everyone has to know when I'm around, like, my social media's got to be popping. Like, I won't even post a picture because it don't really fit the way, you know, my grid's going to look, even though the picture was good and was with family and everything else, but somebody was looking crazy in the back. So I can't, like, everything is about looking good, being upfront, being uh, uh, the life of the party, if you will. Get your name out. Establish your brand so that people know who you are, all for the purpose of building your platform so that you can gain influence. In fact, like marketing organizations, they pay millions of dollars to uh, corporations and, and Hollywood to help people increase the image of their brand. And listen, you don't have to be a movie star. You don't have to be in Hollywood. You don't have to work for a Fortune 500 company to experience this. You can just be like, yo, my Instagram kind of lame, so I'm going to hire a company to help me become and influencers. Even churches have marketing plans and marketing strategies. And listen, I'm not here to say that any of that is wrong because there's an element of marketing that's necessary. I mean, come on, let's face it. 
you guys wouldn't even know of the Becoming Church if there wasn't like a mailer, if there wasn't some social media ad or something that you saw because we knew. How you gonna, how you going to know about us, right? So there's, there's nothing wrong about that as well. We're five weeks old today, so how else will you know about us unless something or someone told you about us? So that's not an issue with that. The issue is when the intent is off. It's when the focus is not right. So are we consumed with growing a big church in the names of, of pastors or, or we focus on growing big people and lifting up the name of Jesus? Like we sang about this morning, with a thousand hallelujahs, we will magnify his name. And so if there's any concern or questions or like, yo, what is the Becoming Church about? It's not about building the name of the Becoming Church. It's not about so that you know my name. Can you not know my name? But it's about knowing and encountering the name of Jesus. I, I don't want it to be said that when people go to the Becoming Church, that it's all about, yo, I, I caught a vibe when I was in there. It's a vibe over at the Becoming Church. No, I wanted to be said about the Becoming Church that when I was there, I caught vision at the Becoming Church. I caught a vision for how my life could be. I caught a vision for how my future could be. I caught a vision for my marriage, a vision for my family. It, family is not about catching a vibe, but it's about catching vision for your life. So it's not about growing a big church, but it's about growing big people who are fulfilling their purpose and walking in the call and in the destiny that God has established for your life. And can I tell you, understand this, that God has called you, that he has destined your life. Jeremiah 1.5 talks about that. God's in the back, it's, it's not on there, so don't like scramble for it, it's all good. But he talks about that, like, I've called you, I've appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Meaning before you were born, like you have a call and purpose on your life. And I don't know what you face or what you've gone through that maybe have made you think that you don't. But friends, can I tell you that you do? And you say, yo, I've experienced a lot of pain, but I'm telling you this morning that God will take your pain and turn it into purpose. That you may have experienced some things that he'll say, listen, you experienced that hurt, that pain, that grief, that shame. But I'm going to use you to help minister to somebody else so that they don't have to experience the same things that you did. So that they can see like, yo, that you came up out of that. That is the very issue and struggle that I have. My family was broken. My home was broken. I was abused, whatever the case may be. But you live this kind of life now? Family, that's what we want to see become a reality here at the Becoming Church, that it's not about catching a vibe, but it's about catching a vision. Because here's the truth. We weren't called to point people to us. We're called to point people to Jesus. Can we, can we get back to that? Can we get back to pointing people to Jesus? That's why, every, that's why it has to be about kingdom. That's why we have to be kingdom-minded and kingdom-focused. We're pointing people to Jesus. Because when we point people to a person, we're pointing them to the possibility of disappointment. But when we point people to Jesus, we're pointing them to the anchor of your soul that the writer of Hebrews tells us about. He's the anchor of our soul. We're pointing them to the ultimate fulfillment of every bit of emptiness you may feel. So we don't point people to us. We point people 
to Jesus. And so jump into our text this morning. Two of Jesus' disciples, uh, James and John, they come up to Jesus asking him for a request. And they want to sit at the highest place of honor uh, when Jesus ascends to heaven, one on his left and the other on his right. And <laughs> the thing about Jesus, he always has a lesson ready. Like, I don't know if you have you know, mom or dad or grandmother, like grandparent or somebody that's like that. Like, they always, you just, you just got a question, but they always have a lesson. My dad's not here today, but he's like, I'm like, I just, I just had a question. I didn't know 45 minutes later. <laughs> I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> so you better think twice and maybe even three times before you come at Jesus because he's going to respond in a way that gets you thinking. And this is exactly what happens here in Mark 10, 38, where it says, he says this. He's like, yo, you don't even know what you're asking. My translation is like, y'all dumb. (laughs) Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? In just a little context here, in the Old Testament, the word cup meant joy and salvation, but it also meant uh, the wrath of God. And so the word baptize, it, it actually doesn't show up in the Old Testament, but there are several uh, references to it. And in the, sense of being, uh, in the sense of being engulfed by trouble, but the way that it's being used here is not in relation to a, a, a Christian uh, baptism that we may be familiar with, but this is about uh, being immersed into calamity. So that's what he means when he says, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering of what I'm about to go through, that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be immersed into calamity? So for Jesus, the metaphors of cup and baptism, they signify like his coming death. So he's asking James and John if they are willing to suffer and die as he would. So in other words, again, do you know what you're asking? Have you... I believe we can say he was essentially asking them this. Have you counted the cost? And speaking of counting the cost, several years ago, uh, Katie got me uh, some tickets to see. I'm I'm a big Lakers fan. Uh, I was a big Kobe Kobe fan. And uh, Katie got me some tickets. She surprised me with some just surprises everywhere. (laughs) But she surprised me with some tickets to go see him play uh, in Memphis. And she got some really, really good seats. Like, we were we were behind the goal, so it was a baseline, but we were on the floor. So I, I didn't care. I'm like, we're on the floor. My feet are touching <laughs> the floor. In fact, we took a picture on the floor before we left. I'm like, we're going to get this real quick because if you don't get a picture and post it on Graham, then it actually really didn't happen. <laughs> and so, great seat. So the next season – he had uh, announced his retirement. So I was like, yo, can you get those same tickets again? This time, those tickets had more than doubled in price. And it was a price that when I counted the costs, like my budget was like, yo, we in disagreement because I got a check-in and then I got a savings. And so they couldn't come into agreement with each other. And so the reality is that the better the seats, the costlier they were. And that's exactly what Jesus was teaching James and John, that they had no idea what they were asking. They wanted to be recognized, and they wanted to have fame in the kingdom of God, but they failed to realize that all of what they wanted, it came at a cost. And so we got to understand this about the kingdom, 
In the kingdom, the way to glory is sacrifice, service, and suffering. Somebody who invited a friend was like, what, what is this? <laughs> He's talking, what did you invite me to? But just hear me. In the kingdom, the way to glory is sacrifice, service, and suffering. In the kingdom, exaltation involves lowliness, which is completely opposite of what culture tells us. Put your name out there. Make yourself big. You do everything you got to do to gain influence. But the Bible teaches us the way to exaltation, to, to being exalted, to being lifted up in the kingdom involves lowliness, becoming low. Philippians 2 6 through 11, we can walk through that. It, it walks us through that. Do we have that? Maybe. Yes. Here, here we go. Thank you. It says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Talking about Jesus here. So he's like, I'm going to be your great example. But you won't be able to say, well, you did everything out of your divinity. He's like, no, I'm going to live this out through my humanity. Now, understand he, he was fully God and fully man at the same time. But to show us that we could do what he did, he did this out of, he lived this, his life on earth out of his humanity. So he did not consider equality with God as something to use to his advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. When the last time you heard about somebody saying, I'm going to make myself nothing? It's make something of yourself, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He said, I'm going to become a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedience. It's living a life of humility and a life of obedience. Verse 9, therefore God did what? Exalted him. He made himself low, and God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee, in, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father, family. In the kingdom, the way up is down, right? The kingdom is different. The kingdom is not the same way that we operate here on this side of eternity. In the kingdom, the way up is down. So we must be made low. So maybe living a big life, track with me, starts by living a low life. It's not what I called you. I said that's the way that we need to live. That maybe living a big life actually starts by living a low life. It's less of me and more of him. You know, oftentimes I like to get out in nature and just kind of like walk and pray. And I remember, uh, it's just really cool doing it. Like you hear the birds singing and the wind blowing and all that good stuff. It's awesome. It's God's creation. So I, I like to do it. And one time I remember walking around and I was praying like, Lord, I want more of you. And almost immediately, I feel like I heard the Lord say, well, if you want more of me, then you need to pray more. If you want more of me, how about read more? If you want more of me, study more, fast more, give more, serve more, have hope more, expect more, have more faith. Family, many times we're asking for God to do, 
when God is saying, listen to me, I am in the partnership business. So the question isn't God, or the statement isn't God, I want more of you. No, the question that he is asking us is, how willing are you to partner with me? What are you willing to do for us to get in partnership? Will you fast more? Will you pray more? Will you serve more? Will you give more? Will you, will you increase your faith? Sometimes partnering with God, as we say these things and ask these things, isn't going to be comfortable. But can I tell you, it's going to be worth it. Jonah got called to preach to the people of Nineveh, and he didn't want to do it, right? So he, he ran. God's like, yo, I need you to go preach to these people so that they can be brought to repentance. But the Lord was asking him to do something that was completely uncomfortable. He didn't want to go talk to these Assyrians. He was Jewish. He's like, no, you're asking me to go speak to my enemies and to share the goodness of you with them. There's no way I'm doing it. So he decided to run. Now, ultimately, we know that he fulfilled his mission and the people repented. But can I tell you, it came at a cost, but it was so worth it because of his ultimately being willing to face and do what God called him to do. The people were brought back to, were brought to repentance. So family, consider this. What if our willingness to be uncomfortable resulted in the repentance and salvation of the people in our city? Our willingness to face being uncomfortable but it meant that people would repent, that they would, the word repent literally is, sometimes we think repentance means because we were like um, feeling remorse, but that's not what repentance is. Repentance means like, yo, I was going this way, but I've made a decision to turn around and go this way. It's not about remorse, but just saying, Lord, I'm going in a new direction. What if that happened for the people of our city based on our willingness to be uncomfortable. That may be coming out on April 2nd and joining with I Love My City. That may be going through Pathway and serving on um, the production team or in uh, becoming kids or being a greeter or out in the parking lot or, or set up and tear down, whatever it is, because it meant that somebody could encounter God in life literally be transformed because of my willingness to be uncomfortable just for a little bit on a Sunday morning and to see God do something amazing in people's life. You know, when I was growing up, I remember at one point we wanted a dog. And I don't know what happened because I'm not as much of a, my wife is laughing because I'm not much of a dog person anymore. Maybe it's what happened with this. I'm processing this right now. <laughs> but we were excited for the dog. Because who doesn't want a dog, right? You can, you can play with it. You can throw things, and it brings it back. I think that's called fetch, right? You, you, you can do that, like just fun stuff with the dog. But the part that none of us considered was that the dog needed walking, which in the summertime, it's, it's not a big deal. But when it's freezing out, it's a big deal. Somebody ultimately had to step up and take responsibility. And oftentimes, family, that's a lot with us. Like, we get excited about the gift. We run towards the gift, but we hide from the responsibility. That we're like, yo, I like the gifts. I, I like all that stuff, but the responsibility, I don't know about that. You say, well, wait a minute. What, what responsibility are you talking about? Matthew 28 lets us know where Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and what? 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we want the gifts of God, but we don't want the responsibility given by God. Like, yo, like I covet the gifts. I want the gifts. I I wish I could sing like that, or I wish I could play like that, or lead like that, or whatever it is. But the responsibility of that, I don't know about that. So in essence, we, we want the kingdom. We want that, but we just don't want the king. We don't want what he's calling us to. But I believe that God is calling us to not only desire the gifts and to be used by him, but to step up and take responsibility. Because there are people around you, whether you know it or not, that are looking for you to take responsibility. Even if they're not looking, they're going to need it. They don't even know it yet because, listen, your story's been written. Like, God has already been orchestrating things. That's why you can never think much of yourself because none of us have arrived on our own. Like, God's been orchestrating things way back forever, way before you was a twinkle, like, in your parents' eye. Like, he's already been divinely orchestrating things. And so somewhere, somebody along the way is um, life can be changed by your willingness to step up and take responsibility. Like, think about what we could accomplish for the kingdom of God if we chose to step up and take responsibility. Because it is our responsibility to steward what God has given us. It's no one else. It's our responsibility. And while I'm there, let me say this. We can't allow the insecurities of others to distract us from what God has called us to. Most of the time, people... Ben, can I use your name? It's like what I'm going to say now. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. But at some point, people knew Ben for who he was. But now Ben is more into becoming who God has called him to be. So people will get uncomfortable with who Ben is becoming because they don't know how to handle that Ben. They're like, Ben, I need you inside this box. I like Ben in a box. This been getting out of the box, I don't like because it's raising, it's bringing up insecurity in me. What if Ben is better than me? What if Ben is smarter than me? What if Ben can sing a little bit better than me? What if he can preach a little bit better than me? What if he can lead? What if he can serve a little bit better than me? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to place my insecurities onto Ben. Ben, you get back out uh, inside that box because, listen, I've got some spiritual authority, and I don't think God's actually, I haven't heard that for you. I don't think he's actually called you to get outside of that box, Ben. You need to stay inside of that box because you haven't, you haven't done enough. You haven't played the game enough. You know, you haven't really got skin in the game. You're too young for this. You need to stay right there. Family, we can't let the insecurities of people stop us from saying yes to God. You know why? Because we get the two-question test, right? You're going to stand before the Lord. He's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my son Jesus? Right? So that means like, okay, I surrender my life to him. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Okay, cool. So that determines where you're going to spend eternity. And then the second one is, well, what did you do with what I gave you? Your time, talent, and treasure. Now, if Ben says, well, I was going to, but they said that I needed to stay in this box because I wasn't ready. Or I wasn't in the in crowd enough. I wasn't connected enough. I wasn't close enough. Well, I I didn't do things in the right way to show I was really whatever. And so so because of that, I just felt that I needed to stay in the box. The Lord is like, I'm talking to you, Ben. Right? I'm not talking to them. 
I'm not talking to anyone else, right? He's a Michael. I'm, I'm not talking to Katie. I'm talking to you. So we can't allow the insecurities of others to call us to say no to the Lord. If they can't handle who you are becoming, you just got to say bye, Felicia. Like, hear me. Hear me when I say that. Because so many people would try to project their insecurities. We can't do that. We, we cannot because it's important for us to say Yes to what the Lord is calling us to. Why? Because it's bigger than you. It's bigger than Ben. It's about someone else. Everything that the Lord gives us is not about you, but it's how you can use that to be a blessing for others. What? To advance the kingdom of God. And so we can't be manipulated into not saying yes to the Lord. We can't be tricked or scammed or whatever. Ask the Lord for discernment, for insight. And here at the Becoming Church, it's a church to empower people to walk out your destiny, your purpose, what God has put you on this earth to do. Why? He's in the partnership business. So he needs you. He needs you. He needs you over there because he's saying, I want to partner with you because there's some work here, right? The, 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 the workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. So praise to the Lord of the harvest, Right? So workers, let's be willing, let's be ready. But if we say we got to stay inside the box because of someone else's insecurities, he's like, yo, you you failed this test. So your reward looks different in heaven. We can't allow the insecurities of others to keep us in a box. Taking responsibility is all about serving because serving means you step up because you recognize a need. It ignores your needs for the needs of others. And Jesus, he taught this, that it's better to serve others than to seek accolades, attention, and awards. You know, I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, everyone can be great because anyone can serve. Because serving isn't about ability. It's about your mentality, right? That's what Jesus was pointing at in Mark 10, 43. He says, but among you, it would be different. Right? If you got the right mentality, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Because understand this, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Because leadership is about serving. Leadership is not about lording over or I give instruction or I give direction. Leadership is all about serving. So if you remove servant from leader, you're not a leader, right? Leadership has to start with serving. So our serve team is full of servant leaders. Leading begins with serving. And so you say, well, what's the point? The point is this. Greatness, true greatness, is achieved through serving others. Not about people serving me, serving this, serving that. No, we have to understand that true greatness is achieved through serving others. So since we all want to be great, we all want to do great things, which is nothing new, right, based on the request of James and John. But the greatest are not the ones who are front and center. The greatest are the ones that choose to live a life of serving. And I'm going to close with this. You know, many times the names of 
movie stars and athletes and philanthropists, they garner a lot of attention for their efforts in visiting sick children and feeding the hungry and fighting against human tracking, uh, trafficking. And all that is big and all of that is important. And I applaud that. But even while all that has happened, family, can I tell you, there are everyday people whose names you will never know who are serving others and achieving true greatness in the eyes of God. That's why sometimes when I hear things like this generation's greatest leader, one of the best leaders, how do we know that? Because of the amount of people that know their name? That's not what what God says defines what's greatness. No, but it's about the person living a humbled, obedient life and is being faithful to what the Lord has called them to. He does not say, well done, good and influential servant. He doesn't say, well done, and world's greatest leader. Well done, world's greatest church planter or builder. No, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Can I tell you, the definition of success is being faithful to what the Lord has called you to. We have to redefine what culture has told us is success. It's not in how many people know your name. It's not in how big whatever can get. It's not in how fast your car is, how big your house is, or where you go on vacation. Success is being faithful to what the Lord has called you to. It's about living a life of serving. That's why we do things like I Love My City on April 2nd at 8 a.m. No one's going to (laughs) know. That wasn't an announcement, but... 2700 Fairbanks Street in the Northwood community. It's going to be great. But that's why we do that. No one's going to know our name, but can I tell you, the people in that neighborhood, they will know because we get to make a difference and we get to show up and say, look, I just, I'm just here saying yes to Jesus. I'm just here being faithful. That's what it means to live a big life. You know, there was a, a minister in England in 1852 that he decided to abandon the concept of traditional church ministry in favor of taking the gospel of Jesus directly to the people. And as he walked the streets of London, uh, he would preach to the poor, the homeless, and, and the hungry. And at some point, other ministers began to disagree with his unconventional approach. And so he and his wife, they withdrew from the church to trained evangelists all throughout England. And the couple uh, would return to the east end of London in 1865, where many followers joined their fight for the souls of lost men and lost women. And within, within 10 years, the organization operating under the name The Christian Mission had over 1,000 volunteers and evangelists. Thieves, prostitutes, gamblers, and drunkards were among their very first converts to Christianity. And soon, those converts were also preaching and singing in the streets as living testimonies to the power of God. In 1878, there was this annual report where this minister noticed the statement, the Christian mission is a volunteer army. And so he decided to cross out the words volunteer army, and he pinned in 
Salvation Army. And so from those words came the basis of the foundation deed of the foundation or Salvation Army. From that point onward, converts became soldiers of Christ and were known then as, as Salvationists. They launched an offensive all throughout British that in spite of violence and persecution, over 250,000 Christians between 19, 1881 and 1885 were converted. The message spread rapidly, right? Soon here in America, in Canada, Australia, France, Switzerland, India, South Africa, Iceland, and Germany. And now today, the Salvation Army is active in virtually every corner of the world and serves in over a hundred countries, offering the message of God's healing and hope to all those in need. It's people like William Booth, people like you, people like me, that when we step up and take responsibility, that we can make a difference. William Booth, I didn't didn't know who he was, right? A lot of us, people won't know who we are. They won't know our name, but we don't want the Becoming Church to be a, a country club for the exclusive, but to be a home for humanity, a place to belong, a place to become, a place where service to others is in high value. Because the truth is, we are the most like Jesus when we serve. That's why he would go on to say in verse uh, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So in other words, Jesus was saying this, would you just make yourself available? So I'm going to invite us to to stand this morning. I know this is a little different than our normal flow, but as we get prepared to to close out this morning, I want to invite us to, to stand this morning. And with that thought in mind of making ourselves available, we're going to get out of here. But we're going to, they're going to lead us in this song available. And I want you to to see, Lord, how are you asking me to make myself available? 